Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. On today's episode of Full Spectrum, communications partner Chip Yurgaitis will discuss the FCC's recent notice of proposed ruling on unmanned aircraft systems, and privacy partner Aaron Burstein will discuss the recent NPRM on data security. Let's start with Chip. Over to you, Chip. Thank you. Thank you, Lorena. On January 4th, the FCC released a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, or NPRM, on Unmanned Aircraft System Communications, uh, or or, uh, UAS Communications, if you like. Uh, Many of you might think of unmanned aircraft as drones, uh, but the Commission uses the broader concept of unmanned aircraft systems to cover everything from smaller drones operating at low altitude to sophisticated unmanned aircraft carrying passengers in an urban environment or other larger uh, unmanned aircraft operating over long distances at high altitudes for various commercial and industrial purposes. UAS operations depend on wireless communications for flight control communications between ground-based control stations and the unmanned aircraft, commonly called Command Non-Payload Communications or CNPC as well as the delivery of mission-related payload information from the unmanned aircraft. The area of formally supporting UAS communications is largely tabula rasa. No spectrum is licensed in the US dedicated to UAS communications. Unmanned aircraft systems today primarily operate under unlicensed and low-powered wireless communications rules or experimental licenses. In the NPRM, which is a dense 70 pages, plus an attachment of tentatively proposed rules, the Commission seeks comments on a wide-ranging set of issues and a series of alternatives on almost every matter that it raises. Comments on the NPRM will be due 30 days after publication in the Federal Register, which has not yet occurred, and reply comments due 60 days after publication. The NPRM covers three principal areas. First, the NPRM seeks comment on service rules for the 5030 to 5091 megahertz band that would provide UAS operators with access to licensed spectrum with reliability necessary to support safety critical UAS communications links. The bulk of the NPRM is devoted to this. Second, the NPRM also seeks comment on whether the Commission's rules for various existing flexible use spectrum bands would be sufficient to ensure coexistence of terrestrial mobile operations and UAS use, or whether changes are needed to the operational and technical rules for these bands to mitigate interference and ensure satisfactory levels of performance for both the terrestrial and the UAS systems. Third, to further promote the safe integration of UAS operations in the National Airspace System, or the NAS, the NPRM proposes a process for UAS operators to obtain a license in the aeronautical VHF band, 
at 117.975 to 137 megahertz to communicate with air traffic control and other aircraft. So let's turn first to the 5030 to 5091 megahertz band. The NPRM seeks comment on service rules to provide UAS operators with access to license spectrum with reliability necessary to support safety critical links. This is a joint federal and non-federal use band. Implementation of rules for non-federal use in the band will require that the FCC and users coordinate with other agencies, such as the Federal Aviation Administration, which has jurisdictional responsibility to ensure the safety of aircraft, and the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which regulates spectrum use for federal agencies. The commission notes that a whole of government approach is needed to ensure the relevant concerns and issues within the responsibility of each stakeholder agency are addressed. The origins of this NPRM go back more than a decade. The 2012 World Radio Communications Conference adopted the US proposal that the 5030 to 5091 megahertz band be allocated to the aeronautical mobile route service on a primary basis in order to support terrestrial control links for UAS in all regions. The Aeronautical Mobile Route Service is reserved for communications relating to safety and regularity of flight. In 2017, the FCC adopted a report and order taking several steps to implement the decisions from the 2012 World Radio Conference. And to that end, they added an allocation in the 5030 the 5091 megahertz band for both federal and non-federal use to enable interference protected UAS communications. But the commission did not adopt any rules at that time, deferring it to a later rulemaking. In 2018, the following year, the Aerospace Industries Association filed a petition for rulemaking with the FCC, recommending licensing and service rules for control and non-payload communications in the 5030 to 5091 megahertz band. And only five years later did the commission with this NPRM grant the AIA petition in part and seek comment on service and licensing rules in the 5030 to 5091 megahertz band. The FCC identifies two broad UAS CNPC use cases to be supported in the band. The first is non-networked operations within a localized area generally occurring within radio line of sight of the UAS operator. These are called point-to-point -point operations uh, within the aviation community. And the NPRM uses the term non-networked access or NNA. The second use case is network supported operations, which rely on network infrastructure to go beyond radio line of sight of the operator. The NPRM uses the term network supported service or NSS. NSS is envisioned as CMP services provided by a licensee to third-party UA operators needing communications beyond line of sight. But the NPRM does not tentatively conclude that any types of requirements for NSS providers to offer third-party services under a particular set of obligations, such as common carriage, will be necessary. The NPRM seeks comment on an appropriate band plan for communications to support the growth and safety of UAS operations. 
Tentatively, the FCC suggests 10 megahertz for NNA operations, 40 megahertz for NSS, and the remaining 11 megahertz for temporary opportunities to, and the remaining 11 megahertz available for temporary opportunistic use by either NNA users or NSS licensees. This band plan uh, can be sliced and diced in several ways and guard bands might be included between the NNA and NNS and SS spectrum, excuse me, and between UAS spectrum and adjacent bands. And the commission asks, asks for comment on various band plans. They also seek comment on a Qualcomm recommendation that the commission uh, adopt a different band plan, which provides both for direct UA to UA communications, uh, as well as uh, 41 megahertz of the band being licensed in blocks to network providers for the provision of NSS services and on a secondary basis for payload communications to the extent not used for UAS CNPC. The commission also uh, proposes drawing on its experience in the citizens band radio service in the 3.55 to 3.7 gigahertz band uh, that the NNA systems be licensed by rule on a shared basis and managed by one or more dynamic frequency management system operators. Uh, those operators as envisioned by the commission uh, would have uh, jurisdiction over operations uh, nationwide to provide access to UAS users that require the point-to-point -point communications. The uh, commission also uh, very mindful of the uh, jurisdictional role of the FAA, uh, which regulates uh, flights and airspace of the United States, uh, seeks comment on whether and how frequency assignments issued by the DFMS should be coordinated with airspace authorizations from the FAA. One of the areas on which comment is sought regarding NSS licensing, uh, which generates some interesting comments, is whether by statute the commission must license NSS spectrum by auction where there are mutually exclusive license applicants or whether it has the flexibility to make NSS assignments on some other basis. There are a host of other issues regarding NSS including what geographic size uh, license blocks should be uh, in, in terms of uh, licenses uh, but also uh, eligibility requirements, build-out requirements, technical parameters, performance requirements, applicability of aviation standards, and interfacing with the FAA, as well as protection of other services in the same band as well as adjacent band. Uh, the adjacent band services include radio astronomy, Aeromax, a, 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 a terrestrial ground service that supports operations at airports, aeronautical telemetry, which is also known as flight testing, and radio navigation satellite services. So as I indicated, it's a very dense NPRM. I'm now going to turn briefly to the second major area of the NPRM, uh, the prospective use of other spectrum bands licensed to flexible, mobile, and fixed operators for UAS communications. Currently, as I noted, there's no ban today where licenses are issued for UAS communications. But that said, UAS operators to date have relied on workarounds under existing rules. The NPRM 
identifies existing commercial mobile wireless networks in bands other than 5030 to 5091 megahertz as prospective platforms for UAS communications, given their significant coverage. Leveraging the flexibility inherent in such infra existing infrastructure in these other bands, uh, the FCC believes may provide a near-term low-cost option in comparison with building a dedicated network for UAS communications. At the same time, the NPRM uh, sounds concerns that the commission has about the potential interference impact of UAS use in existing flexible use bands on both in-band terrestrial licensees operations in adjacent markets, as well as adjacent frequency band services. So the comment seeks, uh, or the, the NPRM seeks comment on the adequacy of current rules to ensure coexistence and whether other rule changes uh, are necessary. Um, the NPRM also notes that flexible use spectrum uh, bands are not uniform in what services are permitted in the bands. Uh, the US table of frequency allocations or the FCC rules prohibit uh, airborne use in many flexible use bands and, and others are, are silent on airband or airborne operations. So the FCC seeks comment on the spectrum bands that might be utilized for UAS and whether rule changes uh, are needed. In the third and final part of the NPRM, the FCC seeks comment on the potential use of UAS by frequencies in the range 117.975 to 137 megahertz. This critical aeronautical VHF band is used by aviation for air traffic control and advisory communications, as well as other aviation safety purposes. To ensure the safety of the national airspace system, the FAA requires operators of UAS in some instances to communicate over the VHF channels uh, with air traffic control uh, and uh, other for other advisory communications. Uh, today, authorization for UAS, UAS VHF ground stations uh, is on a case-by-case -case basis, but through the NPRM, the the FCC is considering adoption of a more formal licensing mechanism to address such needs while maintaining the integrity of the aeronautical VHF band. Uh, and it's also considering technical and operational requirements for UAS use of aeronautical VHF frequencies. And the, the FCC puts out for comment several measures uh, and alternative approaches to achieve goals of making UAS uh, or, or providing UAS operators with access to VHF frequencies if needed. So as I stated at the top, the NPRM is not yet published in the Federal Register. Comments will be due 30 days after that publication date. And so at this time, the earliest date for comments will be March 8th. Now I will turn this over to my partner, Aaron Bernstein, who will address the FCC's recently released data breach notice of rulemaking. Aaron? Thank you, Chip. And I think this is my first uh, time on full spectrum, so I appreciate the invitation and um, am glad to be joining you on this episode. <clears throat> and thanks for doing so. We're very happy to have you. Uh, well, thank you. So as any one who follows privacy and data security knows the beginning of the year is always 
kind of a feverish time of activity, or at least it has been in the last few years, in particular because many states are looking at comprehensive privacy legislation, which often has a data security component to it. Uh, but the federal agencies, including the FCC, are not sitting on the sidelines, um, and they <clears throat> are working on a variety of proposals, including a notice of proposed rulemaking that the FCC released to revise the CPNI breach reporting rule. So let me go through some of the details of the, the rule as it currently exists and what the FCC is considering doing to revise the rule. Um, just by way of background, the NPRM for the uh, changes to the, to the rule has been published. Comments are due on February 22nd, and reply comments are due on March 24th. So this is a live proceeding, um, and we're <clears throat> a little ways into the opening comment period. The FCC is looking, um, according to the NPRM, at an increasing number of security breaches of customer information in the telecom industry, as well as keeping pace with today's challenges um, as they've emerged under other federal and state notification standards. <clears throat> now, that reference to other federal and state notification standards is important. I think it's worthwhile to step back and just remind ourselves of what breach notification laws were designed to do. As many listeners probably know, every state in the US as well as the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and other US territories have their own breach notification law at this point. Uh, these have emerged over the last 20 years or so, largely in response to incidents in which sensitive personal information was either accidentally released or obtained by hackers who um, might use it for malicious purposes. The idea behind breach notification laws is that it gives consumers an opportunity to learn about unauthorized acquisition of their data that might be used for fraud or identity theft um, so that they can take steps to avoid those, um, those harmful consequences. The CPNI breach reporting rule came from slightly different circumstances. Uh, this rule was initially adopted by the FCC in 2007 as part of a broader effort to uh, prevent pretexting, which is the practice of uh, pretending to be a, um, a, a customer and obtaining phone records for that customer. So that type of information is somewhat different from a name plus a social security number or a name plus a driver's license number, which could be used for um, to open credit accounts or to do other financial transactions uh, on, on a fraudulent basis. Um, nonetheless, the idea is to provide more information to individuals, and especially in the case of the CPNI breach reporting rule, to federal law enforcement agencies who might take an interest in investigating the incident. Um, right now, under the current rule, a breach is defined as um, someone without authorization or exceeding authorization 
intentionally gaining access to um, or using or disclosing CPNI. And CPNI, in turn, is um, defined or, or summarized in the NPRM as phone numbers called by a consumer, the frequency, duration, and timing of calls, um, or the location of a mobile device when it's in active mode, um, as well as some other categories of, uh, of a consumer service. One thing I'd emphasize is that the NPRM doesn't propose to change the definition of CPNI. Um, it is really just the reporting requirements. Um, although, as I'll mention near the end, the rule does, that, or excuse me, the NPRM does ask questions about whether the FCC should cover information um, other than CPNI under a breach reporting requirement. Um, so there are a couple of things that I'd highlight that the FCC is considering changing. The first is removing the intent standard in the definition of breach. As I said a minute ago, a, a breach is by definition an intentional and unauthorized access to CPNI. Um, this really removes from the scope of the reporting requirement any inadvertent disclosures um, of CPNI and I think one point that the NPRM makes is that that would be more consistent with the way that state breach laws define security breach or breaches of system security, which usually does not include an intent requirement. So uh, the effect of going in that direction would effectively broaden the definition of breach. However, there's a second term under uh, consideration for potential change. Uh, the NPRM asks about including a harm-based reporting trigger, uh, which would or could allow carriers to assess whether there's some minimum harm um, that might be exceeded based on the circumstances surrounding a breach. And in those cases, notification would be required. Um, part of the reason that the FCC is considering that change is a concern about so-called notice fatigue, in which consumers might be notified about breaches that don't really pose a, any significant risk of harm to them, and that may condition consumers just to ignore those notices, um, leaving them sort of unable to distinguish the important ones from those that are less important. And then there are a few changes proposed in the NPRM that would go to the timing and content of notices. Under the current rule, um, carriers are required to report breaches to the FBI and the Secret Service within, um, within seven business days, and only after that time can they notify consumers. The NPRM proposes to remove that a waiting period to report to consumers. And in addition, it would uh, require carriers to notify the FCC as well as the FBI and Secret Service. Um, again, the FCC in the NPRM points to state breach notification laws as um, putting an emphasis on notifying consumers and um, 
you know, allowing them to take action sooner rather than later to protect themselves. Um, and as far as the content of notice is concerned, uh, the current rule really doesn't set any requirements for what needs to be in a notice. And the states, again, a reference point for the NPRM, are a little bit all over the map on this. Many of them are fairly prescriptive about everything from certain substantive disclosures that need to be made, particularly in the description of an incident, and in some cases down to the section or paragraph headings that need to be in a notification letter. Um, the FCC is asking about whether it should consider those types of uh, minimum requirements for the, uh, the content of notice letters. And then finally, there are a couple of broader legal questions that the NPRM poses. One of them has to do with whether um, the notification rule should cover a broader range of customer information. Um, the FCC asks about whether the rule should include uh, social security numbers, for example, as one category of information that would be subject to reporting under the rule if, um, if that type of information is involved in a breach. And then the FCC also asks for comment on the effect of the nullification of the 2016 broadband privacy order under the Congressional Review Act um, that would go to any questions about uh, the, the FCC's authority to adopt rule amendments at this point, um, given the CRA's prohibition on uh, adopting similar rules uh, after, after invocation of the Congressional Review Act and, and nullification of regulations under that act. So as I said, um, this comment period is open and initial comments are due on February 22nd. Reply comments are due on March 24th. And this is, I think, just one more moving part that we're watching as federal regulators, Congress, state legislators, and state regulators in uh, California and Colorado are moving forward with um, lots and lots of proposals and proposed regulations in the broad area of privacy and data security. Um, so that's where we stand on the NPRM for breach notification. And um, uh, that's, uh, that's all I have for you today. Thank you. Thank, thanks again, Aaron, uh, for being part of the podcast today. Uh, that, that was uh, extremely interesting and informative. Uh, I hope it was for all of you that uh, joined us uh, for the podcast. Uh, you might have noticed that we took a little bit of a break from our normal format uh, of uh, reporting on the FCC's open meetings. Uh, the next FCC open meeting is on February 16th. And so uh, we'll be back to you uh, around that time with our next um, edition of the uh, Full Spectrum Podcast. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.